Hi! Welcome to the Vibe Fashion News, the podcast where you can get to know everything about the fashion industry. Here we will interview fashion designers, influencers, models, photographers, shop owners, even fashion consultants. <laughs> and what for? To learn their insights, their stories, and the lessons they learn along the way. I'm your host, Araceli Gallego, recording this time from D3, Dubai Design District. Today we have with us Toby Meadows, a fashion business consultant and a visiting lecturer at the London College of Fashion where he is teaching a course called Starting Your Own Fashion Label. Toby Meadows is also the author of the bestseller book How to Set Up and Run a Fashion Label. He also writes articles for different media publications including Financial Times. He has been in Dubai many times. He spoke at one of the talks at Fashion Forward, which is where we met, and now is coming back to deliver his course for the London College of Fashion. Stay put, don't go anywhere. The interview starts right now. Hi, Toby. Hello. Explain us what is your job. How does it look? like a standard day in your agenda? Okay, so I, I call myself a fashion business consultant um, and really I break that down into three kind of key areas. So um, there are private clients, small emerging and, and larger businesses that I help kind of develop brand strategy for. Um, that's getting them to really kind of concentrate and focus on the future and what it is they're looking to achieve and making sure that they are working in a most cost-effective way to actually kind of deliver the end result. Um, you'd be amazed sometimes at some of the kind of larger companies, emerging uh, retailers in emerging markets, already doing good business, just how unfocused that they can actually be. Yeah. So sometimes it helps for someone to come in and kind of re-look at the very big beginning, the corporate strategy, and to try and kind of work out exactly what it is they want to be working towards. So I usually give them three questions. Who are you? What do you want? And then let's work out how we're going to get there. So those are the three kind of main areas. So that's kind of the personal side. Um, I then do an awful lot of uh, visiting lecturing for London College of Fashion. Okay. Um, and I mainly do the Starting Your Own Fashion Label course, which is a professional development course. So it's mm -hmm. not an academic course. Okay. It's a short course which is really focusing on young emerging designers or people who are just about to start um, and really want an overview of exactly what it means in this current environment um, to kind of launch and develop a, a fashion business. Um, I've been fortunate with London College of Fashion that that takes me all over the world mm -hmm. um, and over the past eight years that has meant learning an awful lot about emerging markets and almost bringing that information back to the UK as well so it's very beneficial that way. The third thing is, is what I like to call kind of knowledge exchange. So okay. it's not full-on consultancy and it's not full-on teaching, but it's usually working through government-funded projects, mm -hmm. develop, uh, developing kind of incubator support programs. So mm -hmm. in London, that's through the Centre for Fashion Enterprise. Yeah, we're going to speak about that. Yeah, um, and then we've taken that and we've developed programs in Indonesia. We've worked with programs um, in uh, Istanbul, 
We've actually, through London College of Fashion, been developing a program in Sharjah with Earthy Contemporary mm-hmm. Craft Council. We just finished our first kind of uh, six designers for a year working with them. So it's knowledge exchange. It, it's a little bit of consultancy. It's a little bit of kind of education. And that's how I kind of see my three strands working as a fashion business consultant. Wow. You're busy, yeah? It's busy, busy, but it's fun. And, it, and it's, it's really different, you know, because every designer or every business has a different vision. And so you really have to kind of sit down. There is no one way. You've got to sit down think about yeah. exactly what is best for them and then help them you know develop and reach their which objectives. is kind of like the links with the next question because you are you are kind of like putting together like the, you're between the business side and the creative side of yeah. any business right yeah. when it comes to a creative business yeah. um, in your book you mentioned that to be successful you need 90% of business skills and only 10% of creativity how do you guide designers that are super creative but are really bad with numbers. How do you actually make them? Okay, so I should probably justify that that kind of segmentation. I guess what I mean by the 90% to 10% is that 90% of what a young startup is going to do is the same as most businesses. You know, you are doing the day-to-day stuff. You're not only the creative director, you are the managing director, yeah. you're the IT department, you are, you know, purchasing and what have you, you potentially a cleaner, <laughs> you know, you could be absolutely everything, right? It's true. So <laughs> actually having the talent is just not enough. There are so many talented young designers who don't make it. And there are some amazingly average designers who go on and create really interesting businesses. What I quite often say is the difference between the two is usually that one of them is a problem solver. Because when you're starting up a business and you're developing it, you are just thrown with a thousand problems. And it's all about how you can solve those in the most cost-effective way. And, and it really pains me when I see these amazing, talented designers who are not embracing the problem solving. It's almost waiting that, you know, my talent's enough, this is going to happen. Yeah. Sometimes there is one in a generation where an investor sees the talent, they invest and they solve some of the problems for them. But there are so many designers coming out of MAs and colleges around the world now mm. that, you know, you know, the failure rate is, is getting higher and higher and higher because people aren't actually making things happen themselves or working hard enough to solve the problems to allow them to actually develop. So my real aim, I believe, in the beginning is to try and give young startups an understanding of what their future is going to look like. Having been someone that's been there with my own business and Mm -hmm. with my wife's business kind of there and then having worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of labels around the world over the past 18 years, big, small, established startups, It's basically to give them the kind of inside track of actually this is kind of what your future looks like. And it's not as easy and rosy as Mm -hmm. some people think it's going to be. So these people have done it this way and they ended in failure. These people did it this way. They ended in success. Let's have a look at best practice. What suits you best? And it's guiding. Some designers are up for it. They want to listen. They want to learn. Others will be like, oh, well, I'll be that one in a generation. And actually, they're the hardest to to work with because, you know, and they could be right. They literally could be the one. So I don't want to steal the thunder and and literally... Maybe they just need like a shadow, like somebody that is going to be taking part of the business side and they just do their bit. Potentially. But what I say to, to people is if you set up your own business and one of the large reasons for people doing it is they want control, they want yeah. flexibility, they want freedom. If you bring someone in who's going to manage the business side and you focus purely on the creative, nine times out of ten, you become an employee of your own company because True. most of the decisions that are made will be linked back to financial. And that 
includes yeah. the length of a skirt, the yeah. colour that you use, because you should be looking at the sales from past seasons and analysing them and then right. developing a range plan accordingly. Um, so for me, I try to encourage all young designers, um, whether or not they've got a business background or not, is just to see the whole process as one creative process. It really is a creative decision when you've yeah. got fifty thousand dollars owing, but you've only got ten thousand dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a creative decision. Who gets paid today in order to keep this business going? So that's how I try to see it. I'm not pure business. I'm not pure creative. Right. I sit in between and try to kind of bring those two worlds together in a way that makes sense yeah, for yeah. everybody. Right. Right. What do you think is happening in London? Because in London lately, there is so many amazing designers coming up. Um, is it the water, the fish hmm. and chips? <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I think it's... Um, there is a lot of support from the government, the schools. There, there's a number of things. I mean, w- without a doubt, education has a massive part to play, mm-hmm. right? But if you look at some of the best success stories that have come through the Centre for Fashion Enterprise mm-hmm. um, over its kind of 13, 14 years, if I name drop people like Mary Catranzu, yeah. Peter Pilotto, Erdem... Um, these are guys that kind of eight years ago were kind of a, a group coming through. Mm-hmm. Well, not one of them is British, right? So for straight away, <laughs> we're looking at, um, you know, London attracting some of the best talent from around the world coming mm-hmm. to our art colleges and doing BAs, staying on for MAs, graduating, and then using London as a platform in which to grow. And one of the reasons for that is because London probably has more financial backing for young, innovative designers than any city in the world. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's been a kind of a magnet to draw some of the best talent in. Why, though, have they come there in the first place is because of, I think, the heritage of the McQueens, the Gallianos, you know, the the colleges that going back 30, 40 years have spawned some amazing talent. So we're benefiting from almost a previous generation, which is then casting a, a massive net around the world to bring some of the best talent into London. And then we have been fortunate to have a supportive, um, you know, uh, government public private sector mm-hmm. although and this is the scary thing is that obviously education is no longer free um, yeah. in the UK um, and the fees are going up and up and up which then leads back to making it harder for maybe kind of people from outside the kind of you know a certain social yeah. uh, status to be able to afford to come to an art college because it mm-hmm. is quite a privileged course to be able to take you know yeah. to go and say right I, I'm going to try and be an artist and try and be a fashion designer um, so I think we as I say we've benefited a lot from that we're benefiting from the talent but we also have to be careful that we need to make sure that as artists as creatives we're constantly lobbying to make sure that that support is still there from the government yeah and that environment actually is, is maintained and is absolutely happy. it's a really because it's unique I mean what is happening yeah. over there is and really it, it is a, a very fragile ecosystem <clears throat> yeah. and, and it, I think it's interesting to see in somewhere like Dubai UAE kind of other emerging um designer economies around the world is that you're starting to get governments to see that actually by increasing the creative elements um of the region that it has a massive impact in tourism in the way that the the region is perceived outside and that's something that the british fashion council and and the uk have been very strong in saying actually london fashion week really if you look at it massively benefits the whole of the uk by promoting the UK and London as the epicenter of kind of innovation yeah. for fashion. And arts and culture. Absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's massive. But if you don't look after it, 
then the knock-on effects start to happen and there are always other cities around the world looking to try and... We are there, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, Dubai is what I would call a challenger brand. Yeah. It is, it is working very hard and I've, I fed back to the mm-hmm. mayor's office recently on a, a program in London that I've been helping to consult on, creating an East London fashion cluster. Mm-hmm. And I met with D3, with DDFC, looked to the plans and the future of, of what they're looking to do, you know, and I went back to the mayor's office and said, look, if you're not careful... Mm-mm. Yeah, there are these upstarts, yeah, <laughs> challenger brands who are looking to kind of jump ahead of us. So the investment needs to continue in cities like yeah. London, New York, Paris and Milan. True, very true. How do you perceive uh, the Middle East? Not only as a market, I want also to know kind of like how like how Middle Eastern designers are perceived overseas. Okay, so I've, I've had the benefit of kind of coming here regularly, especially to Dubai for the past kind of, I think, eight, nine, ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fully aware of um, both the talent that exists within the region, um, but also the impact the consumer in the region has had on affecting kind of global fashion trends. Mm-hmm. Um, There's an awful lot of changes happening in shopping seasonality around the world that are directly linked to when the consumer in this region is traveling to London, Paris, Milan, New York, and actually mm-hmm. purchasing. Yeah. Some of our big department stores in London make most of their money when the Middle Eastern market arrives yeah. in London. And as a result, they're changing their buying habits and what they're buying um, based on that. And that's been for the last kind of 10 years or so. Um, but what's most interesting is, is the new wave of, you know, I guess millennials, but the new wave of, of talent that is coming out that has a very good understanding of, of fashion around the globe. Um, and is recognizing that actually there's a lot that's not being done to look after the local need of consumers, that in a way the West has been selling whatever it could, and because the Middle East has been buying it, because the offer here wasn't so good, it's like, fine, we haven't had to change, we haven't had to do much to kind of Mm-mm. really affect um, our sales. Now we've got this young, talented group come saying, you know what, I don't need to buy winter, I don't need to buy this product, you know, the the... Maybe the shapes, the length, the weight yeah. of material is not exactly what I'm looking for. The style is different. Style is different. Um, and we're starting to see that new breed developing own label. Um, and I think that's very exciting. And I think, to me, in a way, what's happening here is kind of the equivalent of the Paul Smith, the Vivian Westwoods in the 60s and 70s, starting mm. to develop, you know, what London kind of fashion, you know, cool fashion was about mm-hmm. the thing is it does take 10 15 yeah. 20 years this is not something that is literally going to happen overnight and we're going to have our first billion dollar designer label in dubai it is a process but i firmly believe that the generation that is developing now will be the ones that become the first big middle eastern brands are over they the next know, 10 years. are they know for example in uk Uh, there are some, there are some, I mean, but it, it's quite niche. So, I mean, when I look at the kind of brands, um, you know, there are brands like All Things Moji who, um, here in, in yep. D3, in who, mm-hmm. you know, have been getting press attention through their PR in things like the Sunday Times style. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously showcasing at Paris Fashion Week and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a starting point. And what it takes is not one, it takes two or three. Yeah. Um, I always kind of refer to the Antwerp Six in the 80s who, No one before these guys got in a minivan and drove themselves to Paris and showed as a collective mm. was looking at Belgium as, you know, a leading kind of force in fashion. But these guys as a collective became a symbol of re-evaluation. So, oh my God, maybe I've missed something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in Antwerp now, it is one of the best fashion places to study. I mean, so creative and fantastic. But it took a group 
to actually come together and say, look at us. You know, and that's yeah, what yeah. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that within the next 12, 18 months, you're going to see that kind of collective start to work together. But sometimes it happens because there's government support and mm-hmm. there are kind of trade missions. But more often than not, it's because there's a collective, a group of young, cool designers get together and decide, you know what, we're going to kind of, I don't know, work together on our marketing strategies and right. actually make an impact on a bigger scale. That's brilliant. Well, that, that's the hope, and I'm—I mean, I'm an optimist without a doubt. I always see the opportunity, but I—I I, I certainly say to people, I'd rather be here setting up a young fashion label than in London, New York, Paris, and Milan because it's just so saturated yeah, it is, that it you're is. actually looking to sell to this region anyway when mm. they come over and buy, um, and the money is depleting. Yeah. yeah, we haven't got massive amounts of money in Europe at the moment, so we're relying on new economies to kind of fund a right. lot of this. So I'd rather be in an area where it's unsaturated and there's opportunities. Don't get me wrong, you have one of the biggest mature retail environments yeah, here. Definitely. But in terms of own label, we're yeah. seeing this younger consumer looking to buy local. It's still a small amount. It is increasing. But these are the guys that are influencing yeah. the majority over the next five, ten years. So yeah. I think you're going to start to see this boom. Yes. Yes. And so what, for example, could we do as Arab designers to uh, increase our visibility internationally? Like, okay, if you have a group, how do you approach uh, the press or how do you approach, uh, I don't know, the media to actually, hey, we are here and this is our proposal. How okay, the, the thing I always talk about is is relevance. Okay, so relevant. So as a fashion designer, um, you know, you can be relevant in this market, mm-hmm. but you can step outside of this market, even into the region, yeah. and suddenly what you think was right for the yeah, consumer wasn't different. right. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we talk about the course, we're always talking about comparative shopping, you know, going to other cities that you think you would like to kind of sell to, um, you know, researching your adjacencies, the brands that you want to sit next to, looking at their price points, looking at the, the materials, the fabrics, where they're showcasing, what publications that are kind of supporting them. And then being really honest and whether or not at this very moment you are relevant, is it worth you sending a lookbook to Selfridges when you go in and research? Nine times out of ten young designers don't do the research and just have a belief that the world needs them, right? (laughs) So we we kind of need to make sure that 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 relevance is there. Once that's done, I have zero problem when people are kind of analysing and saying, right, yeah, I truly believe that then we start investing in, okay, maybe it is um, a Paris showroom or showcase or something that I'm looking at it may be we've done this a few times with designers in this region that you say well actually the influencers that are most going to impact globally about my brand aren't here aren't in London aren't even in New York they're in LA so rather than paying for a local PR you may look at kind of saying right I'm going to employ an LA based PR where a load of the world's influencers are funnily enough you can get PR cheaper there than you can in Dubai, mm-hmm. right? So rather than waiting for Gigi Hadid, Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, or whoever to come here, actually by being in LA, you've got a, a much greater chance mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we can look that way. But there's no point doing it unless you know you yeah. have the relevance at that kind of moment. Um, so we see a lot of these designers spending money in the wrong places, showcasing when they don't need to showcase. You know, I'd rather some of that money was spent kind of going and meeting buyers rather than just walking down a catwalk and, and growing, or even going direct to influencers that actually yeah. have a you know a number of followers that could buy direct. Um, but I think overall, it's really. I guess what I I challenge the designers on the course and the, and the designers I work with in the region over here, it's about overcommitting. So the perception from a new emerging economy is that 
from the West is always that you're going to be down here compared to what we've already got. Mm-hmm. It's just this preconceived idea right. that there's something coming over. Who are these guys? What do they know? Right? It's total snobbery. So what I need is the level, the brands that we're working with, not to be equal to the brands that we have in the UK, but I need them to be I'm even better. better yeah. So we've done some interesting things with some of the designers on the incubator we work with in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. We had six of them um, do a pop-up in Fennec on Bond Street, the department store last year. Oh, wow. um, and we work with Amandine, um, the buyer, an awful lot. And that's through a contact of mine, Angela, who's been working on the Earthy Contemporary Craft Council project we've been working in in Sharjah. Mm-hmm. And she's been working with Amandine, with these designers, professionalizing price points, fabrications, and getting them right. Amandine took a huge chance to bring these guys into Fennec and had to convince the board of directors that these Indonesian yeah. part of work. it's been the best pop-up Fennec have ever done taken more money than anything else oh. um, they had the whole windows down Bond Street and it basically as I say became that almost symbol of re-evaluation people suddenly going oh mm. Indonesia I didn't know yeah I know there's huge talent in Indonesia I know too, yeah. but not everyone does so you need that kind of symbol to say look look right. at these guys again I think three of them have been rebought for this season and now have a relationship kind of moving forward. And if you go there now, you'll see them kind of on mannequins, big names up That's and stuff great. like that. So it's that level of kind of saying, right, if we are going to go international, um, we can't reinforce the preconceived idea that we're not as good as what's there. True. You need to blow people away. You need to overcommit because anyone that does go internationally from this region, I think, has the responsibility of of creating the, the industry for, yeah, for those that are coming come. behind. Yeah. When you, the Indonesian labels that were over there, they were also modest fashion or they were not modest fashion? Um, it was a mix. For, with the incubator that we work with over there through, it's called... Um, it's called... Uh, uh, Indonesia Fashion Forward Fashion through, Forward yeah, in Jakarta yeah. Yeah. and it's part of Jakarta Fashion Week the actual program out of 10 designers will have three um, they'll say Muslim wear we say modest wear mm-hmm. kind of designers on it and, and in fact it's the modest wear designers in Indonesia that have the biggest following on mm-hmm. social media the hijab community and stuff like that yeah. so designers like Diane Palangi 4.5 million kind of followers on Instagram I mean she's just a superstar she must be 25, 26 mm-hmm. um, but brands like Ria Miranda and Zara, Norma Howery, um, these are kind of the brands that are all in their 20s, but really um, speaking to a community that have felt like they've never had a choice in what they're wearing. And obviously, it's the largest Muslim country in the world. And it's just creating this kind of massive euphoria within that kind of community, which is fantastic. Um, The others that did come to Fennec, they were, I have to say, much more what I would say contemporary designers. So people like Toton, he won the Walmart Award for kind of Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. He's been in Paris up against other international brands. So the the talent is amazing. Peggy Hartantu, she does beautiful cocktail dresses, very New York kind of savvy kind of stuff. So it's relevant for an international market. They just happen to be... Indonesian designers, but it is also relevant for an Indonesian market where you've got that booming middle class that wants to buy local brands. Let's talk now about the incubators. Uh, You're working with, uh, in London, with uh, Central Fashion Enterprise, as you mentioned before, Fashion Incube in Istanbul, Fashion Forward in Jakarta, which is this one from Indonesia, and Incubator in Tallinn. What kind of criteria you follow when deciding which designers will receive the support of the incubators? So um, I have to say that the right now I'm on the um, 
the kind of advisory board for Centre for Fashion Enterprise. Um, I, for about eight years, I was running kind of um, developing kind of programs for them. And I've always been of the belief that um, this is just a personal opinion that I didn't want to have any say on who came in. I will work with anybody. Okay. Because, but there I, must I work, be some sort of criteria. So, for, absolutely, for, for them there are. But for me, I, I don't care whether I'm working with somebody who's mass market or whether somebody's couture. It's always something really interesting to kind of find and, and develop mm-hmm. work through. Having said that, the um, all of those incubators have really been kind of focusing on what I would call kind of um, innovative contemporary design. So not working with somebody that's looking to create a kind of a new retail environment that in the future will look like Topshop, okay. but looking at those that are coming from a much more kind of artisan, craft, maybe kind of design-led right. project. So it's most of them are there to try and support those guys coming off of kind of fashion, high-end fashion degrees yeah. who maybe well, haven't unique. been taught any business skills mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um for me, the only thing I ever ask, honestly, is the, is about personality. Mm-hmm. The, the people that are going to come on board, because all of these, um, are, you know, go- government funded taxpayers mm-hmm. money that mm-hmm. are, are supporting. All I ever ask is that the designers that come on board are absolutely committed and motivated, um, and are willing and open to kind of listen and learn and develop. Nothing that makes me more angry than wasting taxpayers' money yeah, when I've got designers who time. just aren't listening. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, why, why are you on this program? What is it you're doing? Now, okay, mm-hmm. some of them are giving free studio support, but that's not really what these incubators are about. They're yeah, not just right. giving somebody free kind of support. It's about helping and guiding and shaping. doesn't mean we're always right. Yeah. And as I say, there's never one way. But it's about having that kind of voice of experience that you can kind of share with. And then if there are specific things you don't understand, pricing, range planning, cash flow forecasts, um, anything like that, that you've got people that you can kind of sit down, listen and help. There's no doubt that taking the overheads of studio costs and things like that away from a startup business Mm -hmm. helps massively. But at the end of the day, it's really about the strategic direction that you're trying to help these guys with. And and they need to have their own vision and you're there to help kind of craft and, you know, help them get to where they hopefully know they want to go to. And um, how designers can stand up in such a pretty saturated environment such as fashion right now? There's too many labels. There's too much yeah, product. Exactly. We don't need another it's fashion really designer difficult. business, do we? No. Um, buyers and and always will come back to you and say, look, you've got to give me a reason to buy. Right. And I don't think that's any different to a consumer. If you want to take my hard-earned money, your hard-earned money away from us, you know, it's not your right that I buy your product. You have to earn my trust. You right. have to earn the right. So I always talk about, you know, in the past we used to talk about you need to create desire. But in this day and age, it's about the intensity of desire that mm-hmm. a young label can create. How badly do you want me or do I want to buy your product that maybe I'm willing to wait a few days before I get it that I'm willing to search you know around the world to try and find a stockist that maybe actually can supply it you know maybe your e-commerce isn't as good as the established brands but if I love the project the product and I absolutely want it and the desire is just so intense I will Forget all those things and I will come and buy it. But it's it. very difficult because it, there is a lot of amazing products out there, but it's really difficult to actually put them out there and give them the visibility or create that desire. That in the, Because we are so saturated of images and we are so stimulated. Absolutely. Social media, Instagram Completely. is crazy. Like, yeah. 
But I would argue when I started all of this 15 years ago or 18 years ago, not having social media, not having your own e-commerce. Imagine. Right? You only were left with, right, I need to really, I can't afford to open a store, so I'm going to wholesale to department stores and boutiques, mm-hmm. and I have to try and get into Vogue and Marie Claire. And everyone was trying to do that. Now we have the ability to control our own destiny. But yes, you need to, I think the first thing... Everybody's doing the same. Exactly. (laughs) This is the key. I think you need to come back and you absolutely have to have your own signature, your own personal identity. The only reason that a community would see you as the thought leader and actually say, I belong to this kind of community. If you're just doing kind of average, the same as everyone else, then it's a bit of luck. Why should I buy you? You know, maybe you compete on price brilliant um going back to uh, a quote from a, a very old retailer died over 100 years ago mr Woolworths. um mr Woolworths once said i'm the world's worst salesperson so i had to make it easy for people to buy and the way he did that was to open more stores than anybody else mm-hmm. convenience mm-hmm. right so if you haven't got a product that is exceptional and brilliant and you're looking purely business then you know never f- underestimate convenience right, right? The, the more of your stores the easier it is yeah, for me to just yeah. walk into somewhere rather than someone else mm-hmm. people will spend their money yeah. um but that's on a big scale yeah right for young designers really is about looking at who you are that kind of who are you part of your brand ethos, right? What do I stand for? Do people care about the stories, the story behind the brand? Personally, in this day and age, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have no story, you're just selling product yeah. in a world where there's too much product. Yeah. Um, and honestly, with the emerging markets like, I say emerging markets, retail markets like China, mm-hmm. only still in their infancy, mm-hmm. right? And manufacturers galore setting up their own brands. So they will go from raw material to retail and the margin, they can keep the price right down. This is going to flood the market over the next yeah. 10, 15, 20 years. So the rest of the world's not going to be able to compete on price. Yeah. So if you can't compete on price, the only thing that's really left is kind of the innovation yeah, and the exactly. brand story. So mm-hmm. when I'm working with retailers around the world who are you know, turning over 50 million US dollars, 100 million US dollars, and they've been going for 30 years or so, you look at the product and it's, it's average in terms of international level. But right. they've been the best thing in the market for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. and as a result have made money. Now, Uniqlo, H&M, Zara, Bershka are all landing in the market. They're losing market share. Mm. And what they're finding is the only way they can compete is to almost go back to being a startup and going, right, what do we stand for? What is our brand value? Um, And we're doing fashion 101 with them, customer profiling, brand DNA building, strategic planning. They hate it (laughs) because they haven't had to do any of that before and they've got lots of money. But now the competition is so great that actually fundamentally, if you don't have that, you're going to become irrelevant. And I think that should decade. be something that you need to constantly be from time to time to sit down, evaluate where, where am I, the, the, where I want to go. The speed of which the industry is moving mm-hmm. is so fast that um, I see your, you've got the kind of first copy of my book. Yes. Under that is the second copy. So when I wrote the first copy, um, first edition of, of the book, um, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram. So after about four or five years, we updated oh. and we created the second edition, which focuses more on social media, has those. I need to get this. Right, one. well, <laughs> I was told off because by the time um, I wrote that, and it then went, it's in about 10 languages now, and it goes into a translation for a year, by the time it actually got published, Pinterest and um, Snapchat suddenly became oh, yeah, a thing. <laughs> so we're now talking about doing the third edition of the book. Um, and it's scary because so much has changed in the last three, four years since updating it that actually rather than just adding to it, 
I'm in this process of sitting there saying, you know what, I think maybe I need to go. I mean, don't get me wrong, 90% is still totally yeah, relevant, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I need to the, kind of go back. Because you're doing the basics. Think so about the fundamental and look at fash tech, look at much more at kind of sustainability, um, eco fashion and all yeah. that side. We, we, we kind of touch on it a bit in the second edition, but it's, it's changing so quickly that you're absolutely right. The reevaluation that every brand has to do, where it used to be a decade mm-hmm. or what have you, it is now literally year, year on year, year constantly yeah. looking and saying, am I relevant? Are we touching on the same things? Should I bother with Snapchat? I know a load of brands that started on Snapchat and invested a lot only for Insta stories to suddenly go, oh, yeah. <laughs> do I really need this anymore? Kind of thing, right? So things are just rapidly changing. So evaluating, absolutely right, all yeah, the time. We need to evaluate all the time. Do you recommend the use of influencers? Absolutely, right? Not, not as a carte blanche, right? Yes, you have to do it, but there's no doubt that you know, as that they a have an influence. Yeah, well, exactly. So my, my analogy is that most fashion labels, when they start up, are the equivalent of someone doing something on a desert island in the middle of the ocean, right? doesn't matter how hard you work, your consumer on the mainland has no idea you exist. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you see it time and time again, people working so hard, but for what? No yeah. one knows what you're doing. So it's really about building a bridge from the mainland to that desert island. How can I connect the consumer to me in the most cost-effective way possible? Um, for some people, that is through stores and it is through kind of distribution. Um, there's a, a, a case study in the book Nomo, who are a luxury laptop yeah. bag. They're 2,000 stockists now around the world and they've always used distribution oh. as that means of, <laughs> of growing that kind of relationship. There are others where actually, no, it is a red carpet thing. And, you know, you're doing beautiful kind of cocktail evening dresses well they're meant to be worn on the red carpet my thing is in this day and age that actually micro influencers people with 500 to Mm 10,000 followers Instagram can still have a massive impact if those 500 to 10,000 that are following them are ultimately your customer customer, for a young label if we can get 50 to 100 regular customers coming back buying high-end prices it gives us a foundation Right. right a direct retail kind of foundation so I'm not saying we have to sit there and pay $15,000 for an Instagram for a big kind of social influencer. It's about finding smart, maybe those up and coming influencers who maybe as of yet aren't full time. Mm -hmm. They're looking to move out from a a full time job into that and therefore Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, a bit of payment or just even borrowing product because they need interesting things to to show how good they are. Mm -hmm. It's about being smart. I say to everybody, having money in fashion does not equate to success. Right. Don't get me wrong, it's lovely, right? But having money. <laughs> absolutely. But for most young designers, I would say put it to the side for the first year or two, because in the first year or two, you're still developing that who are you and what right. you want. And that is where most people spend the most amount of money in the wrong place. Right. After a year or two, you will have a much better sense of this is what I need to do. Oh, this is what and that's where then having the money is great. Right, But time and time again, I see designers with lots of money spending hundreds of thousands into millions of dollars because they've got it, only after four years for there to be an intervention from the family to say, what are you doing? (laughs) You're working 24-7, you're spending all your money, and actually, we're no closer to actually any break-even point. Sometimes having the money means you give things a go, even though you're not sure whether they work. Not having the money means you don't have that. You have to work out what is the best thing right for me to do and if there's anyone out there that says to a young label oh for this amount of money i can get you into this store i can do this absolute rubbish 
There's no, no one who can achieve Mm-mm. that. There's no one, right? It's so subjective, right? Yeah. They may be able to put you in front of those stores. They may be able to kind of put together a great catwalk show in New York, but guaranteeing anything in fashion, it's not possible. No. Yeah. So I would always, as a young designer, when someone like wants to work, he says, I can do this, I can do this, the first reaction should be alarm bells going off. Okay. okay? That should be the first thing, <laughs> That's right? That's a good advice. <laughs> there, there are a lot of sharks. <laughs> What is the future of catwalks? You mentioned about catwalks before in Fashion Weeks because now we are social media. Everything is about immediacy, mm. like I said. And now we see, for example, a lot of designers are going into the see now, buy now. What do you think is going to happen with the Fashion Weeks and the catwalks? Okay, so I, I think there's um, obviously a big interesting trend that I think has taken a too long for some of these big re- um, brands to kind of move to that see now, buy now. Buy now, yeah. Bottom line is just a retail-focused business. What they've decided is that actually rather than focusing on the wholesale, giving six months ahead to then produce for, for the um, the buyers, that actually their retail is much more important. So what Burberry is doing right now is no different to any high street retailer where they're promoting the product that they have to sell in store using fashion weeks as, as yeah. that kind of process. Does that mean it's right for every young designer who doesn't have their own store to do it? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. If you're America Transit with 800 stockists but one of your own stores actually maybe the kind of the traditional model still works because this way you are advancing the production absolutely and you're you're taking away some of your finances yeah but if you're a retail driven business then why not yeah why not so I think like anything I think it's it's one of those things you just take a step back you evaluate your brand you see what is right for you and then you you do that having said that it does mean that things like fashion forward that have really been pushing to be a trade event Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. actually You know, maybe there is a need to open it more up to a consumer event because in this region in particular, most of the designers are selling direct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know there are other opportunities for people to sell direct here, but I do think Fashion Forward is, is one of the best in terms of um, the way it's produced, the messages it's trying to send out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it stands above. So it's interesting how... One fashion week is trying to move to an old way of working and older fashion weeks maybe are moving to the way that no. the market here has been working. <laughs> okay. So this, this is where this there is no one-size-fits-all. Talking business yeah. and political, yeah. um, how do you think Brexit or Trump's policies are going to impact the industry in UK or in the US? Because okay, this is yeah. something that is outside everybody's... Yeah, I, I think... Kind of controlled, but it's the situation out there. We, we're still very... Well, I, I'm still very much kind of waiting to see actually what, what, what Brexit means. Yeah. I mean, this is the scariest thing for me and for any business is yeah. the uncertainty that it provides. I said at the very beginning, you know, about why London is so successful as a, right. as a fashion brand. It's because we have so many international designers yeah. using it as a platform. Mm-hmm. Does Brexit mean people like Mary Catranzi from Greece wouldn't have been allowed to set up the business? We, we, we don't know. Right. If that is the case, then yeah, that will have a big impact on London as a kind of a creative epicenter mm-hmm. of, of the world. Um, you know, we have a weak pound at the moment because of it. Having said that, the weak pound at the moment is helping export yeah. for young designers into America and places like that. Although the price of raw materials is going to go up and therefore that may have a knock on effect. Um, Honestly, I don't know. And, and that's, in one hand, the scary thing. Yeah. But on the other hand, the uncertainty for me is exciting for young labels because it means that rules 
are kind of thrown out, and it's about people redefining the rules. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, like Zara in the 70s, defining fast fashion. Right. No one knew that this one shop in this one regional part of Spain was going to have such an impact, right? right? And that means it may be someone literally sitting in here in D3 in 40 years that was sitting there talking about saying, can you believe that they rewrote fashion history and, and have changed everything? Right. So uncertainty to me, I always look for the, okay, opportunity. Right, and especially in this world where uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, everything's always changing. You've always got to be looking for that opportunity and say, right, how can I make the most of what may be a bad situation, but how can I make the most of that and drive my business forward? Right, um, and Trump's it's kind of like the same. Trump is even more complicated because I think in the UK it's more logical. <laughs> it comes to possibly, but decisions. I think I think both things are are based on a um, a fear of of foreign, yeah, a fear of different. And you know, I think anyone that lives in London that thought they weren't going to leave Europe has a real misunderstanding of what London is. I mean, London is very much an international city. Mm -hmm. You step outside and it's a very different viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the same New York, LA, East Coast, West Coast. You know, it's much more in line with London. You go middle America and it's much more in line with outside of London. Um, And... uh, yeah, yeah I, we'll I, see. I, I've always see. said I'm a citizen of the world because I travel around and I meet like-minded people all over the yeah. world. So to hear my prime minister say that, no, we're not citizens of the world in the UK, we're citizens of the UK, made me feel how, you know, a disconnect between right. where I am. So anyway, so we shall I see. I think we are citizens I believe we are. <laughs> Toby, your time is up. Thank you so much for everything. Not at all. Thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure talking to you. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, the first thing to say is um, head to London Fashion College, uh, London College of Fashion kind of website to see what the short courses are on offer. I know we're back here in May um, delivering a number of short courses, and then again it'll be kind of October, November time. Um, my website's tobymeadows.com. Mm-hmm. Um, happy to hear from people. I'm at Meadows Toby on Instagram and, and Twitter and all of that kind of side of stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. So, that was our interview with Toby Meadows. You can tell he knows his stuff and also he explains it so well. I have great news. Toby left with me a signed copy of his book, How to Set Up and Run a Fashion Label, for one of our lucky listeners. So, this is the first giveaway we have in the podcast. Yay! This is so exciting. (laughs) Let me tell you what you need to do in order to join the competition. Number one, subscribe to the magazine. And if you haven't done yet, also to the podcast. Come on, what are you waiting for? Just hit the subscribe button. (laughs) Two, cling. Like our Dubai Fashion News Facebook and Instagram pages. The links are in the article below. Actually, in the article you have kind of like everything you need to go through three ding, send me an email with the answer to this question what is the name of the course taught by toby meadows at the london college of fashion short courses in dubai very easy just send me an email to hello at dubai fashion news with your answer i will announce the winner on the next podcast which will be on the first of april oh my god That's full stay.
Okay, the competition is no joke, I promise. The podcast is every first and every 15th of every month, so <laughs> eventually it will happen <laughs> every year. Okay, on that day, one of you will win the book, and trust me, I have it, and it is great. What I like about it is that it forces you to think business, every aspect of it, marketing, sales, production, financing, logistics, supply chain, because we tend to concentrate on what we like most and sometimes that is not practical. If we want to have a sustainable business in the long term, we need to pay attention to all the details. So I'm going to say bye-bye, see you in the next podcast, but before that I want to thank you for being there. If you like the interview, hit the subscribe button and give this podcast your five-star ratings on iTunes. Your five stars actually allow this podcast to grow and get more visibility within iTunes. And don't forget to leave a comment. Your feedback is super important for me. I want to know your thoughts to keep on improving. Also, subscribe to our digital magazine, DubaiFashionNews.com. There you can find a tab with all the past podcasts in case you want to catch up or if you missed any when they air. You have there Marie de la Roche, which is a handbag designer, Ivan uh, Salgado, which is actually a costume, you know, like ballroom costume designer. Um, you have so many interesting people in there. You have Joel, which is the past podcast, which is the absolute beauty queen of the Middle East. Yeah. Just go there to the tab in Dubai Fashion News. There's one tab called Podcast. And if you want to communicate with me, come to the podcast or share your story. Send me an email to hello at DubaiFashionNews.com or use our Facebook or Instagram accounts. I'm all the time there. Thank you and see you in the next podcast.